and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 153. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Caroline Borders. And today we're going to be discussing a TED Talk entitled Everything You Think You Know About Addiction Is Wrong. And this talk was given by a man named Johan Hari. And I found this particularly interesting. And Caroline, I asked you to watch it. As is often the case, I'd love to know what your first reactions were as you watched it and if there's any way you'd like to jump into this conversation. Well, firstly, I think this is a really optimistic and definitely novel approach at looking at addiction and I think a hopeful one. And I found his analysis compelling. I agree. And to explain to the audience who we would encourage to watch this video, we will attach a link, as always, to the podcast episode. Mr. Hari points out that at this point in time, it's been about 100 years since the U.S. and the United Kingdom decided to criminalize drug addiction. And he goes on to say that this decision was made because we wanted to take addicts and make them suffer because we believed that would deter them. It would give them incentive to stop if we imprisoned and punished them for their addictions. And those legal decisions a century ago have led to the war on drugs as it exists today. And Hari points to Portugal, who in 2000 legalized all drugs as being demonstrative of, as Caroline said, a more optimistic future as it relates to addiction in general. And as he started to think more about addiction, spurred on by personal anecdotes in his life, he recognized there were certain unanswered questions, the three he mentions being, what causes addiction, why do we carry on with this approach to addiction that clearly doesn't work, and is there a better solution we could try? And to describe the old way of looking at addiction as Hari sees it, there's this idea that there are chemical hooks in a drug which make someone addicted. And so if you are exposed to a significant amount of a drug or for a substantial period of time, you will become addicted according to this ideology. But Hari then mentions morphine used in hospitals, which is essentially a medically pure form of heroin. And yet when people come out of complex surgeries, they don't resort to addiction. Instead, they're fine. And Hari finds this curious, but there are certain studies that suggest this is absolutely normal. Earlier in the 20th century, there was a psychological experiment with rats which looked specifically at addiction and presented a single rat in a cage with two water bottles one of which contained normal water, the other of which was laced with heroin, and the study observed and concluded that gradually the rat would prefer the water which contained heroin. And so the idea of addiction being, again, a chemical one. But Hari, in his study of addiction that led to this TED Talk, spoke with a professor of psychology from Vancouver named Bruce Alexander, who in the 1970s looked at this original experiment and said, this isn't quite reflective of a real-world scenario because the rat is isolated and there are other variables that aren't being accounted for. So he devised, in this new experiment in the 70s, Rat Park, which contained various tunnels for the rats to navigate, colored balls, and crucially, other rats. So there wasn't just one in this scenario. And of course, this experiment also contained the drugged water and the normal water. But interestingly enough, in Rat Park, the rats didn't prefer the drugged water and almost never used it. None would partake in it compulsively, which suggests that there's something else going on. And Hari then points to Vietnam as being a crucial human parallel again in the late 20th century, where various soldiers were using heroin, but upon their return to the U.S., 
only about 5%, I believe, actually became addicts, which might surprise certain scientists who would say that chemically you are going to become addicted. But in fact, Hari says that the key here is that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but connection. And he goes into that, but I have been speaking for a bit. And Caroline, I'd love to know what responses you had to these anecdotes he presented and the conclusions he made. Well, it makes sense in a way. For decades now, 12-step programs and movements have claimed that addiction really is rooted in a spiritual malady, not necessarily the substance or the physical component that is involved with addiction or perceived to be involved with addiction. I found Hari's argument very convincing. I mean, if in one experiment, a rat literally kills himself because he's addicted to water laced with an opiate, and then once he's integrated into a larger environment with more rats, a more social environment, and the experiment shows that instead they prefer the water that is not laced with drugs and they survive, then that proves an interesting point. I think his analogy with the Vietnam War, which was occurring basically at the same time of this experiment or even before, and the concern that the U.S. government had with heroin addicts coming back from the war is also interesting. And I think there's certain aspects that in his rhetoric he does sort of ignore. The Vietnam War is a traumatic experience, but you are around people. There can't just be oh, once addicts are integrated into society, their addiction problems go away because, I mean, during the Vietnam War, they're around people all the time. They just also are killing people and maybe experiencing aspects of isolation that have nothing to do with other people. And by that, I mean, maybe psychological isolation or simply effects of traumatic instances. And that's where I can see his idea about the cure for addiction not being about sobriety, but about bonding and connection. But also there are certain drugs that, unlike heroin or cocaine, are a lot more public and a lot more involved with social interactions, such as alcohol. And I mean, I'd say nicotine isn't exactly a drug, but people do get addicted to it. And both those things, I think, occur often because of social interactions. For example, if you take alcoholism, Alcoholics don't become alcoholics because they drink so much on their own. Usually people start drinking alcohol with other people. And oftentimes people sometimes won't drink because they know that alcoholism runs in their family. As Hari said at the beginning of his TED Talk, he realized from an early age that drug addiction ran in his family. But at the same time, he doesn't really go into whether those members of his family were isolated or whether or not they were addicted, maybe because of the effects of isolation, but rather just says that it runs in his family, which ties into a more biological aspect of addiction and how it's hereditary and how it is really quite genetic in a lot of ways. In that same vein, with alcoholism, if someone starts drinking, they usually have a sign of becoming an alcoholic when either they don't get hangovers anymore or they start getting drunk by themselves. But that doesn't change if they go and have a drink with friends. It just means they can't stop drinking. Just because they're in a social atmosphere or environment doesn't mean that addiction will go away. So I think Hari, in an attempt to maybe create a really masterful TED Talk, does ignore some of the physical components of addiction. Nevertheless, I think he's right and makes a really good point about how addiction is treated in this country in that in order to cure someone of addiction, you mostly need to punish them rather than integrate them or show them support. Or maybe you show them support, but it's like, this is tough love. This is the best thing for you. And we know best because you are incapacitated by this drug. 
So I'm curious to know what you thought about his ideas about intervention, as well as just this whole idea that we have in this country that addicts need to be removed from society in order to get better. Well, I'm really glad that you asked because I have a lot of thoughts on this. I don't know many people in my life who suffer from addiction, but I do know a handful. And in all of them, I've observed certain feelings of loneliness or detachment that aren't necessarily caused by addiction, but that lead them to pursue something to fill that space, that void, or that general sense of detachment that they feel. And Hari notes that Peter Cohen, a professor in the Netherlands, said that addiction might be the wrong word. Instead, we could describe the process as bonding because human beings naturally bond to things. And when we are happy and healthy, we bond with one another, which I think may be a simplistic approach to take. And when we're unhappy, we might bond with the substance. Exactly, at least as it's defined in this talk. But I would say that our approach in this country and our general confusion surrounding addiction and addicts themselves lead to very unhealthy responses in quote-unquote sober individuals because this attempt to punish almost makes it seem as though addiction is a cognitive thought-through process. And that's not to say that it isn't reasonable, but I don't think addicts are thinking in a very step-by-step process why a drug or a certain chemical or substance makes them feel better. They're pursuing it, I would argue, in a very subconscious way because they're chasing a feeling. And so when you're trying to punish them to get them to think about what they're doing, I think most addicts know exactly what they're doing. They just feel helpless. And at a certain point, that addiction, that chemical and psychological process starts to overwrite other more rational thoughts. And so I think, first of all, the act of punishing isn't helpful because certain individuals who are suffering from addiction might not be in the right headspace to think about their addiction in that way because they're still under the influence of that substance or, if they're suffering from withdrawal, the symptoms of that addiction. And so I think our very harsh response doesn't work on a cognitive level. And furthermore, the attempts to punish an individual who is suffering from addiction particularly bother me because on some level you're punishing them for something that may be biologically based and therefore isn't their fault. And even beyond that, I think that approach assumes that addiction is purely the addict's fault when they might be the victim of certain abuse or trauma that led them to feel helpless and therefore led them to pursue that substance for reasons of feeling more confident with it or more in control or simply that someone could have persuaded them to try that substance in the hopes that they might feel better when that individual who gave them the substance in the first place might have different motives. And so it doesn't look at the social aspect of addiction and I think takes it to a purely personal level, which I find very problematic. And I also think that one of the worst things you could do to someone who is feeling lost and scared and helpless is to put them on their own and keep them away from other people because, one, it insinuates that they aren't worthy of social interaction or contact with other people, and two, it also in a very real way insinuates that they are less than or not quite human, which doesn't help them to overcome that addiction in ways that Mr. Hari suggests. I agree with you. I think that in most circumstances, isolation is not what helps anyone in any case. I mean, it's been shown through programs in prisons that the best way to reform prisoners, essentially, which is the reason why we put them in prison in the first place, right? Because they don't have a place in society, so we need to give them a clean slate. 
except when they leave prison, they now have this reputation and this record. But the best way that they are successful members of society is by reintegrating them and helping them reintegrate into society. And I think that goes the same way for addicts. One thing that is interesting to me, though, about Hari's discussion and something that I might challenge that you said earlier is this idea that addicts are helpless and unaware of the circumstances in which they're in. Because, yes, I think with heroin addicts or cocaine addiction, I've never been addicted to these things, so I can't really speak to it. But I think media portrayal of these addicts is very much in a dirty motel room with tons of lacerations and huddled in a corner, completely alone and just craving, needing their fix. And that's kind of the image we get in media. But then we think about other types of addiction, like nicotine addiction. People who are addicted to cigarettes, which embody a huge percentage of the population, are not people who feel helpless or who feel isolated, I don't think. I mean, the majority of my friends who smoke do it with other people. And yes, like it gets to a point where maybe they do it alone because they need nicotine, they crave nicotine, they're addicted to it. But I wouldn't say they feel out of control with that addiction. I think Hari doesn't go into the kind of depth or nuance about the spectrum of addiction. And I don't think that's the point of his talk. I think he's trying to progress the field of mental health and addiction. And I think he's making a really good case for that. But there's something to be said about systemically changing the way we view addicts, which shouldn't totally be centered on the prostitute in a dirty motel room who is living simply for a drug. Because I don't think that's where all the addicts reside. And I think at a fundamental level, the talk succeeds in trying to change how we think about addiction and touches more on how society treats addiction rather than how they treat addicts, maybe. That's a very fair point to make. And I don't mean to say as though all addicts are helpless. I would, however, say that I think a lot of addicts are addicted or maybe come to rationalize their addiction as a response to a form of helplessness or a lack in their life, even if it is not a critical lack. If they feel somewhat less nervous or somewhat more alert because of nicotine, perhaps. I'm not saying that's helplessness, but I do think the drug or substance, whatever it might be, comes to take a certain role in that person's psychology and one that I don't think is beyond response. And to me, that's one of the scariest parts about addiction is not the mental, psychological or chemical effects on the individual, but on the stigma that then separates that individual from the rest of society and the idea that people won't talk to or treat addicts as regular people. And I think that alone leads to worsening addiction as people feel they can't turn anywhere else, which gets back to the idea of bonding and connection. And I'd like to close by returning to Portugal, which Hari mentions in the talk had a worsening drug problem at the turn of the millennium. And in 2000, opposing political parties in Portugal came together and decided that they had to make a change. And so they decided to legalize all drugs and use the money that they had been spending to criminalize and punish individuals to instead fund rehabilitation and other support programs. And I don't believe this completely got rid of addiction, but it drastically reduced instances of addiction that were observed in Portugal. 
And honestly, that's a step I would like to see in countries around the world. Not necessarily that we encourage drug use, but that we look at how our stigma surrounding the drug, regardless of its chemical components, our social perception of it, can affect the way we treat addicts, and in certain cases don't treat them, simply neglect and separate them, and how that affects society as a whole. And so before we close this episode, what are some things you would like the audience to consider after listening to our conversation? I think addiction serves as a more extreme example of a fundamental problem in society or an issue in society at the very least, where it's pretty common to hear, oh, in New York City, I'm surrounded by people, but I feel so alone. I think humans fundamentally are social creatures. That's a pretty well accepted point. It's not so much about supporting someone when they're in trouble, but supporting them all the time. We have this mentality, especially in the U.S., of being self-reliant and individualistic, and especially in terms of masculinity, being strong and tough and be a man is a common thing we hear. And through the feminist movement, oftentimes we observe that instead of women becoming empowered as women, they adopt more masculine roles in order to obtain that power. And I think in general, the best way, instead of relying on ourselves, to rely on people to support us. And if there is kind of that reciprocity that exists and is more accepted, and I mean androgynously, then with addiction or without addiction, it creates a much more stable and joyous society, I think. And I would encourage listeners to think about the role of addiction in their lives, if not on a personal level, in those around them, because there are, as Hari notes, certain cases of addiction to technology like smartphones. It's not always a purely narcotic situation. And I think a lot of us suffer from addictions that we might not necessarily perceive. And I would also urge the audience to think about how they and we as a society respond to addicts? Are there ways we could be more compassionate and understanding? And if so, how might that deter and directly respond to addiction as a social phenomenon, and of course one which affects us on individual levels? But of course, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have any feedback, critiques, or input of any kind, please reach out to us. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook, where you can like our page and get updates when we post new episodes. And you can also email us via strideandsauntra at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as reviewing the show and sharing it with someone you think might also enjoy it or get something out of it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you next time.